I hope that you're having a good season so far. Uh, I know it's a different season. I get that. And um, uh, it was already said today by Noah, but just hopefully in some way that we've made some of today feel a little bit more like regular, like normal. Um, I do got to say, though, um, basically said the same thing in the first service, but it's because it was true again. These guys, our instrumentalists, our singers, our lead musicians, they just kill it this morning, and they're continuing to kill it, and they're going to continue uh, in just a moment. Um, I do want to say that what we do when we sing is not actually unimportant. It's not just kind of like a rote exercise uh, that we do by habit. Um, in fact, we come upon today uh, just a brief message that um, the subject matter that we're talking about today actually uh, comes from um, an action we perform every time we sing. Uh, we praise. The Bible is very clear about that. We praise the Lord when we sing, but we also provide a witness when we sing. We provide a witness. Like we're, we're testifying something. We're, we're not saying something just to God. We're saying something about him and about him almost always in a very public way. It's a testimony. It's a witness. And um, you've heard John chapter 1 read um, verses 1 through 18 multiple times this morning, the different parts of it um, already. And that's been our text that we've been in for this Advent season um, in the theme of light has come. And, um, and you didn't hear a few texts that were intermixed there, and it's to those texts I want to turn our attention for the remainder of our, of our time. It's John 1, verse 6, um, and uh, we'll go through verse 8, and then also pick up at verse 15 as well. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, real quickly, in case you're new to the Bible, um, th what we're reading when we read the Gospel account of John is by John, <laughs> except it's John the Apostle, one of the first disciples of Jesus. He's not talking about himself in this particular text, although what he says here could very well have been said about him as well. Um, he's actually talking about John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, who is another John that lived in that day. I uh, was eventually martyred for his faith, beheaded at the whim of Herod's, um, Herod's uh, wife's um, uh, daughter. And so uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And in verse 15, as a parenthetical reminder to his readers regarding what he's already said about John, John was the one who was testifying about him, meaning Jesus. In fact, he cried out saying, This is the one, Jesus, that I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has... Uh, surpass me because he was before me. So these verses, um, they add to the larger picture 
of the, the larger account of John's gospel narrative uh, and his insistence, I mean, just over and over, his blatant insistence on being anonymous uh, throughout all of his writing. And a clear picture emerges both through his anonymity and his pursuit of anonymity, but also what he has to say about John the Baptist um, by inserting him here uh, into this uh, story uh, and what he is accomplishing here is to make much of and that his anonymity and even John the Baptist's notoriety, uh, probably known as a revered martyr of the faith, both fade into the background when contrasted with the one of whom they witness about. See, whether it's his own anonymity or the testimony regarding John the Baptist, the apostles' desire is to emphasize the nature of a witness and that the witness has never, is never, will never be the point. The witness isn't the point. But yet, the witness is still there. And that is what we're called. We're actually called witnesses. We're not the light, but what are we? We're witnesses of the light. That's what we're called. We are named witnesses of light. And by the way, you just might as well say this right from the beginning, is, is that John stands in as a proxy for us. Whether it was John the baptizer or John the one writing this, or whether it's us, we are not the light. If it is abundantly clear to you throughout our time that we live in, our culture, the political season we just came out of, there's not a human being that qualifies as a light. There's not. But there is a light. There is a light, and his name is Jesus. And we are witnesses of that light. And why is that good for us? Why is it good that we are witnesses of the light and that we do not fool ourselves that we are the light? Or that if we do kind of get full of ourselves at some point, that the gospel message is meant to kind of reel us in and pull us back to recognize that we are not the light. And that that actually is really good news for us, that he is and we are not. Well, there's actually many reasons, but in this particular text, I'm just going to throw down a few that I see here in this brief uh, few verses. If I could hang it on one idea, it clarifies our life in a lot of very big ways, like meta ways, ways in which our life gets kind of muddy and a little bit confusing time we live in right now, I've probably had more friends, church members, um, random people I happen to be talking to who just say they feel a little bit lost. Um, maybe not all the time. I, I mean, I, in fact, mostly not all the time. But there's many times they do feel lost. They feel kind of out of sorts, kind of stuck in suspension in midair, not quite on the ground all the time. However you phrase it, uh, the sentiment is the same. And so clarity, I would think, would be really good news for us right now. Like something that's a foundation, 
Something you can actually plant your, your feet on, on planet Earth, and you can actually bank on it, and it's going, it's going to be true. Well, three things that we see in this text that give us clarity. One is clarity on our identity. Our identity. Second, clarity on our message. Or if I were to say it in kind of modern way people talk, our truth. You know, my truth, your truth. Here's my truth. So many of our truths can get so complex and mishmashed and they contradict with other sub-truths that we hold to. The gospel actually clarifies some things about what is our top shelf truth that we can bank on, our message. And finally, our purpose. Who we are, what we have to say, and what we have to do or left to do. Let's start with identity. It's interesting, not long after the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we run into the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, uh, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's more appropriately probably labeled the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and through other people. And if we were to go beyond Acts 28 into Acts 29 and beyond, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through people like you and I, which is a miracle, friends. But he does it. But in that first chapter, he really lays down some clear things about what their identity is going to be as, as they move forward. They asked him, is it now that you are going to bring the kingdom, like, like not, just, not just in a little way, not just in a sample plate kind of way, but are you going to restore all of what you intended from the beginning of the creation for your people? And it's actually a question that was at the, at the top of a lot of people's minds. Like, is now when you're going to start your program to make all things right, to bring all things under your headship in the most absolute way, to take that, all that is sad, sick, and satanic and, and throw it out <laughs> and bring it all into alignment? Not a bad question. Jesus says... That's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Here's what you need to know. Pause. That's important right there because if his program towards the restoration of all things in the most absolute way was about to get started, guess what? That says something about your identity. You are now a foot soldier in the program of restoration that is on the horizon. That's not what he said. He said, that's not for you to know the times, the day, the hour, whatever. But here's what you do need to know. You're going to receive power. And when he says power, it's not little p power, it's capital P power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in not too long, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Yes, near. Yes, far. All of it. 
you will be my witnesses to the all kinds of people. And that was plural, by the way, because I know that we can't be in two places at one time. We can't be here and there. He's saying, you, my people, will be my witnesses, both near and far. And so this is our identity. We are witnesses. But what is a witness? What is a witness in his identity? Well, we are not the light, but we're also not darkness, and we're not nothing, because the Bible goes on to tell us in Isaiah 9-2, actually it told us earlier in a messianic text leading to the Christmas season, the people who walked in darkness, past tense, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so we're not nothing. We are those on whom light shines. We are those who on whom light shines. We're not the luminary, but we are illuminated. <laughs> we are illuminated. If you think of it in cosmic ways, we're not the sun, but we're the moon. We don't have a source of light, but we reflect light. We reflect it. 1 John 1.7, we should walk in the light as he is in the light. So not only are we receivers of light on us, but we're also participants to go find where the light is always shining bright. This is why the Bible calls us to the presence of the Lord so often. It's because that is where his light shines the brightest is when you are entering his presence. And when you go where he goes, do what he does, work where he works, love what he loves. But there's more. In Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the stand and give, and it gives light all in the house. So you're not merely absorbers, receivers of the light. You're not merely reflectors, but you yourself now have a light. If you want to have a biblical example, it's Moses going into the, the tent of meeting spending time in the presence of God, he comes out and they go, Moses, you're shining. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> but it was a visual, it was a picture for people to understand this is what it's like when you really spend and are serious about spending time in the presence of God. You can't go away, but to not only have absorbed, but to reflect, you, now are, a, you are now a light yourself. And don't hide that light. Put it on a basket for all to see. It tells me something really interesting. If I'm a witness, it is that much more important I spend time in the presence of God and prayer and worship, reading his scriptures as I go about my life, my day, my week, whatever, because it is in that that I actually bear my identity as a witness best. 
I go out and I shine. What does it look like then as far as one's message, one's truth? Well, it says right there in the text, says, he is not the light, but he bears witness about the light. In other words, his message that he bears witness about is about the Son of God, Jesus. What he did, who he is, that is his message. I got a theory on myself, not just on you, not just on people I know, but on me too. Um, why people generally don't share much about their faith. Uh, they don't share much about, they don't bear the witness about Jesus, tell about Jesus, what he did, who he is. Um, and that's because uh, we are, I am, preoccupied with the rejection of me, us. In fact, I hear people say this out and out, like, what do you struggle with in sharing your faith? Rejection. Are you, stuck? Are you struggling because people might reject Jesus? No, rejecting me. Except that's not true. And that's why we don't share. It's not a message about you. You're the witness. You're not the point. Like John would if we would just learn to fade into the background and not take offense so often because others do not receive or accept the gospel. But to, like he said in Acts chapter 1, almost indiscriminately share, knowing that any message that is rejected is a message rejected about Jesus and his gospel, not you. You have a message, and it's not your own, and it's about Jesus, not you. So you can go and tell. And I got good news for you, a guarantee. If you do so with that in mind, you are never rejected in that moment. It is only Jesus and his gospel that is rejected. Witness carries the message of Jesus, and a witness does so, understanding that a rejection of that message is not a rejection of him or herself, but of Jesus and his message. Because we aren't the point of our witness. And it's not our message. Finally, purpose, meaning. Again, however you want to say it, um, us being a witness is incredibly clarifying for our lives in terms of our purpose and our meaning. It said again in Acts chapter 1 that we are to be sent as witnesses near and far to all people, all kinds of people. The Matthew 28 verse literally tells us the various types of people in the world. So he says, so that you might believe. And he says that not only in, in, in John 1, that that's why he shares and bears the witness about Jesus is so that people might believe. But he says it at the end of his book as well. In other words, he bookends it because that's absolutely critical to his message as far as what it looks like for the light to make a witness out of me and you. 
It means we now have, again, a top-shelf purpose and meaning to our life. That's great news because many of the purposes and meanings to our life that we want to ascribe to ourselves or we want to take on or that's been assigned to us, oftentimes they're muddy, complicated, they get us in trouble, and they also confuse us. They're contradictory. They have different agendae. This clarifies things. So that I might believe. What would my life look like in terms of clarity if I proceeded from this day forward as if the whole reason I'm breathing oxygen another day, that I'm living another day, that God is keeping me around another day, that he's actually sees fit to use me another day is so that others might believe. unless I'm reading my Bible wrong, that is what he's saying. <laughs> and that's why we still breathe air. I want to close this way. I read Isaiah 9 a minute ago, and um, there's, a, there's a section that it leads to after saying, you know, there's a great light that they've seen, and it's shown, and it's shown, and those who once who walked in darkness, now walk in light. And later on, kind of in, in describing that light that they saw, this is, these are the words that are being used. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just that text, the back half of verse 6 of chapter 9 of Isaiah, just that text is a good way to think this Christmas season as to what is it exactly I'm witnessing? Like, like, what am I reflecting? Am I reflecting a wonderful counselor <laughs> that might say something about my anxiety? <laughs> right? A mighty God that might say something to my fears. Everlasting Father, that may say something to my feelings of not being accepted or orphaned spiritually, emotionally, biologically. Prince of Peace, that may have something to say to the ways in which, which I mix my words with people, the way I talk to and about others online for the whole world to see? Am I reflecting the Prince of Peace? You are not the light. I am not the light. But I am a witness to the light. And that's not nothing. It means something. And I hope it clarifies some things for you this Christmas season.